0: You mean this? Oh Oh, no, you mean this.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Have you ever heard Uh, of any of these people?
0: Yeah, they're all my favorite strippers down at... uh... It sounds (laughs) it, right?
1: Hey, this is Party Like a Rockstar podcast and I'm your host, Joel. Today's episode is brought to you by Misha's Kind Foods. They're an LA-based small business making the world's finest non-dairy cheese on the market today. They're lactose-free, paleo, keto, kosher, perev, and 100% vegan. If you like what you see, check out the next video. If you like this video, please subscribe and like by clicking the little round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or our other guests on the show, go to joelrode.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle is joelrode. If you haven't already read my book, "Memoir of a Roadie, it's now available through Amazon and Paperback Kindle or as an audiobook. I hope you enjoy the show. Today, I bring to you the licorice quartet: Eric Dover, Roger Manning, and Tim Smith. You may know them as being former members of the band, Jellyfish. Eric Dover has also played with Slash of Snake Pit, Imperial Drag, Sextus. Sorry, I messed up your band name. Sextus. and Alice Cooper roger joseph manning jr was also an imperial drag he was in the band moog cookbook in addition he's toured and recorded with jay-z beck blink 182 and johnny cash had to had to extenuate that because that is so cool (laughs) third guest tim smith in addition to being in jellyfish he's also toured with noel gallagher of oasis cheryl crow and sarah mclaughlin so my first question here I like to ask you guys, what are the strangest gigs you've ever done? You know, the funny stories and stuff like that. And I did dig up that a couple of you guys were in the Brady Bunch movie. And the, and, the, and I think that comes up with kind of random. How did you guys get into this Brady Bunch thing? And, uh, and was it fun or was it, did you like hey, <laughs> TV people?
0: <laughs> uh, Eric, whatever you remember about this, please jump in. My memory, it's getting cloudier now because it's, Starting to be quite a few years back, but uh, Eric and I were working together to put ideas together for what was going to become Imperial Drag, and we were introduced to some drummers. And then I think, well, Will Sharp knew David Darling, if I'm not mistaken, because uh, he managed him and his band. There were a local band here called Boxing Gandhi's. Does that sound right, Eric?
2: Yeah, that's right.
0: and uh david was a very successful musician around town as as was
1: hold on if you picked boxing gandhi's what were the outtakes that didn't quite make the the cut for the name of the band
0: yeah exactly i don't (laughs) you'd have to ask david i'm sure he's still around um okay sorry um. (laughs) he had his hand in so many different things around town uh and he was actually got the call to put the live background band together for Davy Jones's music scenes, performing scenes in the movie. And he knew Eric and I through our mutual management. Got it. And I think he'd been a jellyfish fan, so he knew who he were. So he completely uh, went out on a lark or whatever the phrase is, asked us to, if we wanted to be in the backing band. Uh, it, it was just like a, you know, fun, serendipitous thing. And we jumped at the idea. I, the whole thing seemed so surreal to me anyway. <laughs> They're making some Brady Bunch movie. So I was like, sure, I'll go be a stand-in. Uh, I need the paycheck. Um, and uh, yeah, that's how that happened. And it was, just, it was a long, you know, they, they, it was shot uh, at Taft High School, where they, which okay. is in the Valley. Um, and they had, you know, 300 extras and us all being shot on that day. For the cafeteria rock concert and um so you know when you're not shooting you just have to go into your compartment and be quiet and kill time did eric
1: have a, did you have your own dressing room eric
2: <laughs> oh uh it was a chemistry lab i think we were all yeah. in <laughs>
1: <Chemistry> <laughs> <lab>. <laughs> yeah yeah
0: because it was on the campus and it was blazing hot valley morning and you had to stay in your costume and you had to stay in makeup so it was actually a, colossal pain in the ass i mean it was really fun hanging out with eric and david and the guys yeah uh and you know but once you were on stage you had to like behave and be serious and do your job and pretend like you were playing yeah um and davy jones was there so that was kind of fun to see him uh but there were there were i don't think there were any other uh actors or actresses maybe the woman that played marcia ben stiller's wife Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I'm thankful for that crazy pop culture Indeed. moment.
1: So I did reach out to Dizzy Reed today, a good buddy. And I said, what can you tell me about Eric so I can pick on him? So he oh, re- shit. please <laughs> just tell him that I miss playing with him and hanging with him. He's amazing on so many levels. And we've had some great times together. He's fucking Guns N' Roses guy. Very serious. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> but then he did tell him, stand down, human. I'm supposed to tell you that I don't know what it means, but there you go.
2: all oh, right, right well that's the uh, that's what you're supposed to say, like y- you've been through Hollywood before around the Scientology Center where they'll uh, come up and accost you the Scientologists, and uh, what you're supposed to say if you don't want them to bother you, is to make them think you're a Scientologist ah. and you, <laughs> you simply you simply say to them, Stand down, human." But um, well, that's that's a life lesson. That. Yeah. I think I learned that from Chris Wise actually, uh, that plays with uh, the cult. He taught me that one. Good to know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right, we're gonna pick yep. on you here. I typed in Eric Dover trivia, oh, and shit. I found this website. So, what do you think your net worth is?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that it's uh, fifty dollars and a ham sandwich.
1: <laughs> no, you're wrong. It's $1,431,656 as of 2022.
2: Money?
1: It says it says the estimated net worth includes stocks, properties, luxury goods, and yachts and private airplanes.
2: <laughs> you know, I forgot about the yacht. That was where I, I messed up. Yeah.
1: Tim already knows this, <laughs> but 91% of people say that Eric is hot, which Tim knew. Oh, <laughs> and great. Then- Similar artists. So maybe you have heard of these guys. I haven't and I didn't look them up. But Kirstie McGee, Diablo Dimes, Genevieve Castri, Kyla Lagrange, Khalid Salim. Have you ever heard I, of any of these people?
0: Yeah, they're all my favorite strippers down at uh...
2: It sounds it, right?
0: <laughs> anyway,
1: that's that's your fan base. Good job, Eric.
2: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, good stuff, huh? <laughs> yeah, me and Diablo were like this.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so memory lane. So it's—I don't know if you'll remember Eric, but I—I I actually lived literally next door to Andy Strummer, and uh, he's a quiet guy, man. The guy didn't talk to me much. So I went over there. I saw him outside. I'm like, I was trying to like, but hey, you know, I know music. I did music. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm friends with Eric Dover. Is that okay? <laughs> and I remember he kind of looked at me, and he's—he's he's like.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's okay.
1: I'm like, good, good, good.
2: All right. He didn't spray you with a garden hose or anything. He uh, didn't really say much It's really
1: hard to get that guy to talk to you or anything. He was nice. <laughs> <laughs> he, went, he went on my he went on my deck and just played bad music for like eight hours. <laughs> like, Here you go. It was funny. So, you guys, um a little reading. So the jellyfish thing started. You guys were really young when you put it together, yeah?
0: The band together. When Eric and Tim joined Jellyfish?
1: Yeah, because I was reading a bit. So you were still you you knew Andy from like high school or something. Like the band goes way back to then.
0: No, uh, okay. I do know Andy from high school. We we hung out then and and were friends and had a couple of band projects, but none of them were Jellyfish, nor oh, okay. were, nor were they related. We went our separate ways after high school, and it wasn't until after college um, that. I moved back up to San Francisco from where I had been going to school and uh, joined a project he had then. And then that project broke up and then Jellyfish was born. So that wasn't until 89.
1: And then how did you get involved with it, Eric?
0: uh,
2: Through Tim, actually. So it's kind of this big circle um, because uh, Tim was playing in a band called The Producers, which uh, you should know if you don't. Uh, and my band was opening for the producers at the time, so it was an open audition.
1: Oh, that's neat. And then now, and then all the and you guys have always stayed in touch, all you guys.
0: Uh, more or less, I mean the t- time flies, but we reconnected in 2017 for the Licorice Quartet project. Right. We reached out to each other and just kind of played with the idea of writing some original music and let's see what happens.
1: Oh, and then, okay. I've been and then to...
0: five years flew by. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, time goes by quick. And Imperial Drag, do you guys think you would be doing more stuff? or
0: uh, I still am trying to figure out a way um, to release some live material and some demos in a package. Uh, but there have been other things that have taken my attention away from that, like Licorice Quartet. I was much more interested in helping to create a new project of original material. Um yeah. uh, I think there is an audience out there that would welcome some of the old Imperial Drag stuff. Um I, I hope to be able to figure out a way to do that.
1: Yeah. Now speaking of original material, it's probably bad on me, but so when I met Eric, I'm like 23, 24, I'm thinking. And I thought Jet was your song. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> you played it with such passion and you played it every week. And I thought I thought that it was you guys.
2: Right. Uh, And that's kind of a weird thing because, uh, well, Jellyfish covered Jet uh, long before I joined the band and I think a a Badfinger song as well. So when I sent the demo in to audition for Jellyfish, I actually sent a cover of No Matter What by Badfinger. So I guess we were just all into the same kind of, you know, old, old uh, tunes, you know, like that.
1: Remember that? And when you played uh, Ballroom Blitz, I loved it. I don't know crushed it.
2: Yep, yeah, the, the sweet. I quite like them. Great band. Yeah. Okay, so uh
1: you're were any of your guys parents musicians were they always supportive of you guys being musicians?
0: Well, uh neither of my parents were musicians at all. Um however, they were both very supportive. Uh, against their better judgment i mean they 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 supported uh music lessons uh, early on because they they understood uh how important it was for the brain to be um, activated in that way beyond the uh, public schooling system
1: and the music lessons were piano always or
0: piano and drums oh. well actually, there were no official drum lessons, but they didn 't ins- discourage me from drumming and and learning from my friends and practicing drums. But yeah, yeah, I I had actual piano lessons they paid for. And they sent me to music school after I graduated. And the the whole time, bless their hearts, they were like, okay, well, you really maybe should minor in business, please, for God's sakes, do that. And they're always quoting the statistics of how many musicians and people with talent actually make a career out of that. You're like Mick Jagger, Mick Jagger. Which, which there, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, my uncle, who was a, a drummer in the '60s, he's my dad's younger brother. Okay. Um, that's what he started out doing and providing for his family, and and uh, here in Los Angeles. And you know, I know he had a blast. I've talked to him about it many times, and he was he was smack dab in the epicenter of the Sunset Strip scene in the mid to late '60s with the Doors and Love and uh, Iron Butterfly and all those Los Angeles bands. Uh, he was in a band called Davy Allen and the Arrows. But parlaying all of that into um, providing for his family proved to be very challenging. And yeah. ultimately, him and his wife split and um, you know but he played in Vegas bands and and so forth into his thirties. The point is is that from my parents' perspective, You know, it was a challenging and troubled life that created uh, unnecessary stress, and ultimately he couldn't make it work. And then every time I talked to my uncle, he was like, "Yeah, man, those were the best years of my life. Like, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have traded that for anything." He goes, "I had a blast." Are you? He goes, "Are you kidding? To be a part of that world and to like, you know, be a fly on the wall and and be active in it in some way." And and, uh, he goes, "I wouldn't have traded it for anything." But you know, I mean, thankfully I had a lot of my dad practical side that would balance my um, fantastical uh, ideological musician artist side so while i don't claim to be a a master of finances by any stretch of the imagination um, i've never had a problem making sure that stuff that i was getting involved in had either the potential for commerce um, or was already established in some kind of business model, um, from Jellyfish to Licorice Quartet and everything in between. I always believed our musical offerings were um, ha- had the ability to uh, relate to a wide variety of people in their in their sing along, sure. you know, aspect. Sure. Um, now, actually making that happen through the business model and the record companies and, and then what it's become today through files in the Spotify world, et cetera, et cetera, that's a different that story. I, now, you know, yeah. I, I can't, right? I don't, I don't, nobody can master that. But yeah. I felt that I had a, enough of a, in other words, I didn't feel any of these projects were so highfalutin uh, underground art, uh, conceptual art that they were going to uh, outright alienate um vast swaths of of generic pop culture so i mean because you know we were spoiled we all of our heroes were the police and peter gabriel and talking heads and uh, all these conceptual art rock pop bands that that were really great song craftsmen
1: are you english tim
0: hold on i think i heard tim (laughs) say
1: are you english tim i think i heard you say something briefly in the beginning
3: no i'm not i'm married to an english person
1: oh there you go because uh, all the bands you just said were english so i was gonna make english joke but forget it we'll just skip that
0: <laughs> well talking heads were american uh, and i could throw I mean, REM I'm ask you, and, you stuff
1: know. next but anyway sorry oh that's right they are yeah yeah, of course
0: you know rem i mean it's it's like there were so many i mean even even prince was just like every album just trying to take pop rock into a whole different place and he did oh, yeah. uh but there was enough Uh, Hooky, catchy, dancey elements to it that it always had the potential. He he finally cracked it on his third record, you know, to connect with a large population. So, yeah. But it's a delicate dance because you have you can't you have to be true ideally to what you want to do and what you want to say.
1: Yeah.
0: I I always felt that there were enough elements that were relatable to a, a larger group of people and and various age groups and generations.
1: Oh, that's cool. Were your parents still around? And if they are still around, maybe, but when you were, did you record with uh, Johnny Cash? or you toured with them? Or what did you do with Johnny Cash?
0: Uh, well, thanks to Rick Rubin, who basically revived his career and did, I believe, what, four projects with him of recordings, did a lot of covers. Uh, I got asked to play keyboards on a portion of those recordings. Um, and it was just me and Rick and the engineer. Uh, right. Johnny was never there. I think he was barely hanging on back home yeah Uh, but it was amazing to be brought into those recordings and just hear like an acoustic guitar and his voice oh yeah it was just it was just weird and really cool and kind of a pinch me moment
1: It is. what about you tim were your parents supportive of uh you going into music
3: yeah they were they were um Gosh, I I had some cousins who were a bit older than me that were kind of hippies in the 60s and stuff, and I had their guitars after they uh, were older. So I remember waiting and getting my first electric guitar from my mom's uh, older sister's kids and stuff. But, yeah, you know, they had a piano and a guitar. And and, and I played in the school bands and stuff. But, yeah, they were very successfully uh, supportive. (laughs) My dad would go to every show that we went little teenage rock combo show that we did or tried to get away with, you know, sneaking alcohol in our cases and stuff. So they you, they understood you guys still do that? <laughs> 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 I
1: And then Eric, I, uh, did you play guitar first? Was that your first instrument or?
2: Uh, yes. Well, pots and if you don't count pots and pans, right. But, um, my mom had a, um, we lived in Nashville when I was six actually lived just down the road from Johnny Cash's house. So we took, uh, like my grandparents came to visit us once and we went to Johnny's house and he had a guard shack and my grandfather talked to the guard for a while about Johnny. And he was like, so stoked about it. But this uh, DJ in Nashville had given my mother a guitar because he had a crush on her and that was sitting around the house for years. And then, uh, I think when I was about 11, we had some like hippies come live with us because my folks were splitting up and the, uh, the guy just smoked pot all day and like played stairway to heaven. And (laughs) I kind of learned my first chords from him, basically.
0: (laughs) That's a hell of a guitar teacher. Was the guitar your mom got, was it, um, an electric one?
2: No, it was an acoustic. It was a Stella. If Mm -hmm. you remember those kind of off brand, but. I, I wish I had that guitar still. It, w- it wasn't very expensive, but uh, you know, just for the um, just for the memories of it. But
1: how long did it take? I guess all you guys. How long did it take you to think that you were actually good at it? Well,
0: what time is it now? Yeah. Nah, you must have <laughs> known a, early on That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I agree with Eric uh, to a degree. I mean, if you're constantly trying to up the ante for yourself, personal best, all that stuff. It's, it doesn't end. Um, you know, I mean, uh, uh, I did, a can, um, I did more lead vocals on the licorice quartet stuff than I have in any combo group that I've been with. I shared in the lead vocal duties and um, man, to get myself to sing up there with Tim and Eric and do like a killer lead vocal that held the song, not just like, well, that's as good as I can do. And, and that's pretty good for me. It's like, well, great, but it's got to like be the focal point and, you know, lead the tune. Um, I mean, these guys don't even know how long I spent on some of my lead vocals just over and over again. That sucks. Do it again. blah blah. blah. And some days you just have to stop because your voice isn't cooperating or you've worn it out. And, but I, I welcomed that challenge. It was good. It great for me to practice doing that and i i'm in some ways i'm singing better now than i ever did and ever in jellyfish even though i'm in my 50s and so you keep pushing yourself but i remember uh i was in college practicing very seriously to be a you know uh music performer uh in a lot of like jazz area with with keyboard and keyboard oriented but performance Mm -hmm. um it it I loved playing other people's songs, especially when I thought they were cool and jamming over them. Um, But it never occurred to me to write my own. And I had actually been uh, corresponding with Andy because I was in Los Angeles and he was in San Francisco working on his projects. We'd make mixtapes for each other and he had started trying to write original ideas, which is super weird for any drummer to like one day pick up a guitar and go, I wanna do this, let alone sing them and i couldn't figure out why he was like not showing off his drum abilities and why he was sending me song things that he was working on and i thought they were cool but i was like wow that's weird and it just kept it just kept uh inspiring me to try that uh which i did and then it was like this whole world opened up of freedom because now suddenly i could create chord progressions and melodies sent against them i wasn't interested in lyrics I admired quality lyric writing and I had lyrics I preferred Mm -hmm. and those that that didn't inspire me, Mm -hmm. but that did not inspire me to do it. I had had no interest in writing lyrics. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, that's cool. That's not, but I don't want to do that. But I did want to figure out that magic that happens when melodies and chords combine and make a person feel a certain way, meaning how they would make me feel. I mean, it's this weird masturbatory activity that then if you pull it off, a whole bunch of people can like share in the, in the pleasure, so to speak.
1: Eric, keep I mean, your hands on top of the super desk.
0: super weird. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He cracked an adult joke.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> so all, all that is to say, I stopped practicing yeah. my, my jazz chords and scales. Uh, Because I was so frustrated that I couldn't write a good song idea, I thought it was going to be fairly easy, and it was just crash and burn, crash. It was horrible. It was it was a very lonely experience that I would complain to my college roommates about, who weren't musicians, and they were very sweet and humored me. Was like, okay, we don't really care. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and then and then uh, three years later, I wrote the core of the song that was going to become Bye 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 on Spilt Milk. Okay. And that was the first idea that I'd come up with. I was like, Hey, I think there's something there. And I, I'm so confident that there's something there. I'll play it for Andy. I'll play it for my girlfriend. I'll, I'll play it for my mom. And I really don't care if they like it or not because I liked it. And that, that was a new weird feeling. Yeah. I could, I could stand by an original piece of art and, um, I wanted more of that feeling and it was very clear that the only way I was going to get better at that is just, you have to go to the gym and keep doing it. So my- you ever
1: listened to the opening of this podcast. Have I uh, no, sorry. Little known fact. It's actually Eric.
0: Oh, For <laughs> was from what a sexist song.
1: No, it's for- a song that I dragged Eric onto doing with me and we made it fun. It was a song for a movie called the gay bed and breakfast of terror. And so we wrote the theme song for this film and then they got we got fired because they hated my lyrics. I thought it was funny. They did not think so. And, um, and so we didn't we weren't able to use our song. <laughs> and so the intro is uh, is actually Eric playing. <laughs> How
0: about your podcast was? Yeah. Yeah. Well, all these years later. So,
1: hey, Well,
2: you know, those music directors, you know, they're hard to please
1: actually it was the guy's birthday today he's a nice guy even though he hated our song he's really nice (laughs) he he still says hi to me so hey awesome yeah kind of funny coincidence i don't know so when i was putting this together uh, a lot of my friends have kids now and my friend's daughter's in fifth grade she was with some of her little friends they were excited about this podcast thing and uh, they said to me you should ask every guest when they first felt famous So I ask each of you guys, when did you first feel famous? Now, if fame is not the answer you uh, would choose for yourself because you don't think you're famous, I'm just saying maybe you do, maybe you don't, where's a kernel in your career Is a moment in time that you would say is worth relating that made you proud of where you are today or who you are today? It's the hardest question from this little kid. And <laughs> I've had the most amazing answers Yeah, from literal answers of fame to very random little anecdotes. They're awesome. Yeah. Just really neat stuff. So.
0: Kids will do that.
1: Yeah. It's good stuff. So what would each of you think uh, would be a good moment?
0: I've been hogging up the airtime. I'll go last.
1: <laughs> then we'll pick on Tim. Poor Tim. Um,
3: Gosh, man, that's a, uh... It's hard to say. I don't know what fame. What, you know, fame. I've been able to play with a lot of artists, um, and getting to hang out with other art. You know, I think I felt that when I was playing with Cheryl Crow and we opened for the Rolling Stones, and we're just kind of hanging out with the Rolling Stones. Something about that, and talking about music. Like they clear the room of all the punters in the backstage area. Because we finished our set, they're about to go on. They just come in and play pool or snooker or whatever they do, and uh, they let us stay there. And it just, um, you know, having Ron Wood come and bum a cigarette from you—it sounds silly, but you just felt—I just felt like, well, I guess I've done something to get to this point that allows me this time, you know. And we were yeah. talking about things, you know, like as guitar players, not just "So, how's it going, Mister Rolling Stone?" you know. Was- <laughs> never like that and i think that's when i finally just was like well i think i'm doing okay you know yeah that's fine no, that's a cool one
2: hey tim do you play snooker at all
3: no i i've i've i watched those guys do it and i think the table's actually bigger than a normal pool table yeah
1: and it so has the it things went, in the middle right the wood yeah things.
3: or something you line them up differently i've i've had i've asked people about can't you play it on a regular table and they're like well you can but it's not really the same angles and blah 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 but i don't right. know right
2: such a different game
3: yeah yeah you know how to play eric
2: uh, it's funny because in the last three days i've developed some kind of interest that i want to play snooker and also want to learn how to play nine ball which is a bit of a different kind of uh full game so <laughs> just to have something to do you know
3: yeah. What do? You, but at the moment, you're stuck in bumper pool in your room there? Is that what's happening?
2: Uh, well, yeah, pocket pool, really.
1: Pocket
3: uh, pool. Hey. A, carom, <laughs> a
1: little carom board in elementary school yeah. where you, you click. Yeah. That.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't have space for a pinball machine either, so.
1: I still have my pinball machine. I love my pinball machine.
2: Right. What do you have, the Ted Nugent one?
1: <laughs> oh, I have.
2: I Hazer wish.
1: <laughs> I wanted a Guns N' Roses one and um actually so i was an art dealer for a lot of years and i was at an auction and they had the toppers which is the plastic piece that goes on top of pinball machines and they disappear a lot of the time because they're just flimsy and they had a whole box of guns and roses toppers and i knew what they were so i bought the box which i think had six of them in there and i sold them for like five six hundred dollars each and i Woo! was like oh, i'm doing this and then i started selling art and they all built from this box of plastic guns and roses yeah, well, I had seen them in the storage, so I knew what they were, and, and right. it was random that I ran into them, so funny things work out, I don't know. Totally.
2: Well, isn't Slash uh, developing, working, developing pinball machines, I think, in Chicago?
1: So he has uh, a whole, well, you might know, he has a whole room of them, and then he he did design the guns, one of the first one. There's another one I saw recently that was a Slash one that I'd never seen before, so maybe that's newish that he did, I'm not sure, but I know cool. he's nuts on them, he loves them so i just oh, yeah. have the one it's good enough for me
2: but they're fun we played a lot of pinball <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> did you record up at his house ever
2: uh the one on up on like uh, wonderland around there
1: oh the one okay
2: that's I'm, the re- old house. i almost
1: rented the wonderland murder house ah uh, i walked through it but it didn't work out but i was gonna rent that house
2: yeah, Slash had a house on Sunset Plaza. Okay. Uh for a while when I mean when we were working together at least. Um and he had his uh he had about four or five pinball machines. He had Captain Fantastic.
1: Oh yeah, that's good. Cool.
2: Uh Guns N' Roses, uh and a pet Cougar. So
1: Yeah, we talked about the Cougar on uh the one with Dizzy. It was uh what was the Cougar's name?
2: Uh Curtis, I think.
1: I think it is Curtis. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Dizzy threw his back out because the cougar jumped on his back.
2: (laughs) That'll happen. That will
1: happen. That will happen. That was one of the stories he let me keep. I had to cut a bunch of his stories out because he was like, why are you bringing this up? Because it's a great story. He's like, cut it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I will tell you, this is years ago. I was talking to him and I I asked him, so who's the most talented guy you ever worked with? And I expected him to say Axel because I was a huge Guns N' Roses fan. And you know who he said, he said Eric Dover. He really did. No he way. said that. He, I swear it's a true story. He said you were the most talented guy was it? And it wasn't prompted, nothing. He said that you're the most talented
2: guy you ever worked with.
1: Isn't that cool? There you I go. Don't he, I don't know if he remembers it now, but but he did.
2: Well, I mean, Dizzy and I have had such fun together. I mean, it's, it's indescribable. I mean, it's much, you know, the same, the same kind of fun that we've had uh, being in Jellyfish together and an imperial drag you know so that's really sweet of him
1: that's cool what's your guys's moments do you have anything that comes to mind
0: uh well um for me uh really things went into hyperspace uh as soon as um the first jellyfish album came out because coinciding with that was an acceptance from mtv Uh, to start supporting us as much as possible, which every band launching dreams of. So what that meant was um, a video presence uh, with simultaneous albums in the stores and starting to work at college radio. And uh, so that all happened within a few months. So went from no, no fame, if you will, or just local fame, to uh, being somewhere on the other side of the States or in Europe and being recognized and that to the point of, oh, I don't know what to do with this because my life up to this point has not prepared me for how to gracefully engage with fans and all that stuff. Uh, um, But the most exciting moment for me not unlike what tim was talking about with the stones was uh being in a record store on a day off in hamburg or someplace in germany yeah and andy and i were record shopping and we happened to be looking in the same area together and we were over by the you know jk LMNOP, so we're we're looking at stuff and we we both go oh there's us there was like a jellyfish section Oh neat. <laughs> and I could I could tell, even though we were standing like four feet apart from each other, it was like, whoa, this is actually for real now. Like there this record that we fantasized about doing, you know, three and a half years ago has now gone through all those steps, any any one of which could have fallen apart and the whole thing would be over. Yeah. And then by some miracle, all those steps happened, and they happened for better, or for worse, and whatever level. But we've arrived here in a mom and pop record store in Hamburg, Germany, and that's all we ever wanted, kind of thing. It was like that, great. that's
1: great. I
0: ne- never thought that would happen, and here it is. So that was that was a very powerful moment for me. And I think I think he and I talked about it a little bit later. But I, we didn't even have to say anything. I could tell we were both on a mind <laughs> meld about that yeah exactly
1: i was in florida with stp and i was in the record store with robert uh Leo, the bass player and the stp core album was in the dollar bin i'm like hey look <laughs> wow yeah he's just like yeah oh, fuck you <laughs> <laughs> that
0: can happen too
1: yeah well and it does. <laughs> now there's no dollar bin even it doesn't even matter now it's just the downloads of, of everything i, I don't it's nuts
2: oh man some of the best records i ever bought though were from the cutout bin you know so
1: for sure you know way back we had the warehouse here in california i don't know if they were nationwide honestly and before the computer system ran stuff it was whoever was behind the counter and if they'd never heard of the band it's a buck or whatever there was no system and i'd get all this great stuff that i didn't know was great either until you started listening to it which is what's so fun about music and uh, I, I love all that time and there's no such thing now. You can pop around Spotify, let's say, and maybe they prompt you to various things, but it's not the same feeling as, as listening to a whole album of somebody somewhere you'd never heard of and you're
0: like, how? You know, well, this, I mean, you, you huh? just reminded me uh, how crucial the buyers of those stores were, particularly the chains. Yeah. They, they, were, they were DJs in their own right, right? They, they furthered, the hype or steered steered a local community to get into this new rush record that nobody knew about or wasn't talking about and it, it, it could like you know sims
1: the conglomerate of independent music stores they were the ones distributing through sims i think mm-hmm. but yeah it was the say if you're not on that list it's tough to get going same with what you were saying get on mtv finally you can make some movement don't get on mtv how are they going to find you but now it's yeah. the it's the Twitters and all this other stuff, which is honestly hard. I don't know. There's a lot of all of that stuff. So it's, it's, there's a ton
0: of, there's a ton of traffic. I don't I, at the end of the day, I don't know how anybody breaks through doing anything that they're offering. I, I seem to uh, see for the most part now it's well what, what starts happening is you start centralizing and reducing everything to lowest common denominator. So uh, a, a fashion person does well with her clothing line not so much because of the clothes but her fans like an actress aspire to her oh we like the way she looks we wish we could be her yeah which is which is how often acting careers take off for men or women it's not so much they're a good or bad actor it's it's the mass portion of the population identify with them Aspire to be them, see themselves in them, um, and it goes from there. So I think that's I how might you have a lot. Be guilty
1: of the same. You might have been on the music end of things, but it was the same. You're you're trying because of somebody who's you know better than you are. You think when you're a kid, maybe.
0: A- absolutely yeah. right. I mean, uh, sure, there may have been there may have been thirty bands I liked in any in any given year, but I related to. A handful of those or the lead singer or the main songwriter or keyboard player for different reasons above the other ones yeah. yeah absolutely and i was like oh that's the model if you combine this dude this dude and this woman here i want to be some version of this as a keyboard player you know
1: yeah were you a
0: big alice cooper fan eric
1: before
2: i i've grown up with alice cooper since the time i could you know basically start spinning records and it started mm-hmm. with the the Greatest Hits record.
0: Well, okay. You had old, older brothers and sisters, right? You had an older sister.
2: Older sister, yeah. So she brought home uh, Alice Cooper's Greatest Hits and Bad Company, Leader of the Pack in the oh, same yeah. day. Right. And then we were all into our Elton John records. So Captain Fantastic was actually the first record that I, LP, that I ever bought. And she brought home um, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road the same day. So I had two Elton John records, like, and it just totally took my life over. Mm-hmm. that in the movie version of tommy <laughs> not 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 the original one but the movie version i i much prefer oh. <laughs> i know it sounds horrible brian Kehu don't kill me <laughs>
1: <laughs> you got a moment you want to share tell this little kid
2: a, a moment about... yeah
1: a moment that first comes to mind maybe we can say where you uh you're proud of it of it happening in your career made you feel good you felt successful. oh uh
2: well I, actually joining jellyfish was a huge a huge deal for me um I was I was so happy to be around uh, because when when that first record belly button came out it was instantaneous literally every musician that I knew of that was worth their salt had belly button yeah uh, and I was one of them I mean I was. Uh actually I was spinning Belly Button and Deer Twenty Three by the Posies because uh, I you know love that record as well to this day. Um and so there was a there was a lot of starch treatment that jellyfish received uh during our tenure. Um playing on the Jules Holland show was a was a pretty big deal. And uh meeting Leonard Cohen, that was a huge deal. Oh yeah. Um
1: where did you guys meet uh, Leonard Cohen? On On, the Jules Holland show. So he performed on it with you?
3: Yeah, you know that show that he does where all the bands are set up in the room together and you're all playing and you're watching the other bands play. So his band was set up over here and we were over here. I can't remember who else was on the show. Do y'all remember who else was on that?
2: Was it Aztec Camera?
3: It might have been or Roddy Frame maybe.
2: Roddy Frame?
3: I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I've done it with some other artists too. It's a it's a unique concept, but it's definitely it's weird to watch somebody like while you're trying to do your thing, watch uh you know, Leonard Cohen just standing there watching you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing uh, weird about that at all. What
1: are some of the guys that have been at there, some of the shows you guys have done where uh, you're you're looking on and it's like, oh there's Ringo Starr just watching me play? <laughs>
0: Oh, it's like well, Elton
1: John. So I, I had a John Mayer on, and John has been with Elton John for a very, very, very long time. And his was Sting. He said he's like Sting is literally standing right next to me, just staring at my percussion. <laughs>
3: you know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've had Sting come to some shows with Cheryl Crow, and they work together. And he's uh, he's a tough nut to crack.
0: Especially yeah. when I was
3: playing bass at the time, and it's just like I don't know what's gonna happen here. I think he talked to me about yoga more than bass, but uh, (laughs) that was okay.
0: (laughs) It was was a little weird.
3: Uh,
0: Well, thankfully, when Cheap Trick were at a jellyfish show, the A&R person that invited them to see our show, this was in Rockville, Illinois, thankfully he was smart enough not to tell us they were going to be arriving before we went on stage. So we found out afterwards. Um, And we but we did not meet them then. Or it was later. No, we did. We did. It was just it wasn't as we walked off stage. We hung out much later in the evening. Anyway, that's not important. Uh, And then when I played in Japan doing some solo stuff um, with Eric Scotus, who used to be an imperial drag, he was drumming for me at the time. And Linus of Hollywood and Aaron Kaplan. They were, they were the band. Um, again, thankfully nobody told me the two brothers from Sparks, the male brothers were watching from the side. I knew they were on the premises because they had a show later that night. And my, so a couple of my friends were uh, playing in their touring band at the time, Yeah. but I, I had no idea that they were uh, watching any of the show and I would have I think my nerves might have crippled me if, and gotten the best of me if I'd known that they were actually there, Yeah. even though I couldn't see them. But I was glad that they saw what they did. I thought I had a generally good show. Yeah. Um, and certainly there were plenty of moments that were, you know, completely influenced by them. I hope they picked up on it with a sense of flattery. Yeah, that's what music's about.
1: Were you intimidated at all when you first uh, started working with Slash, Eric? Or no? I mean, you're a pretty amazing guitar player. I'm not going to take anything from you. <laughs> but uh... Uh,
2: Well, it happened so fast. That was the beauty of it. Uh, and you really, I, I just uh, came out to LA to work with Rogers, So we were very knee deep in, in working on our songs at the time when uh, the Slash audition happened for me.
1: And I think, and, Roger, you're the one who told him to go do it, right?
0: Well, actually, our, a drummer we were auditioning at the time was the one that hooked the whole thing up. Oh. He was he was friends with Slash's camp of people. OK. Oh, I absolutely encouraged uh, Eric to go do that uh, for many, many reasons. Um, Eric was making a huge sacrifice, uh, an investment. That's the word uh, in his future by leaving his home in Alabama Mm-hmm. and coming to california and camping out uh, at friends house he stayed at uh, my place briefly off and on um, and it was not a quick process for he and i to put material together and demo it that we believed in shopping to managers and labels and trying to get the imperial drag project off the ground so uh when that opportunity came along i was like oh my god you know not as in a golden opportunity For you, and clearly, you know me and all these other people think you're the right man for the job. I mean, we didn't know what was going to happen, but um, I thought just from a practical sense, uh, you know, get some money into your pocket uh, if if you're going to relocate to California, because we seem to be getting serious about this band project. Um, And then, of course, you know, it was like it was supposed to be a limited time commitment that got elongated, that got elongated. So it was a double-edged sword, and Eric and I, you know, and the the other guys in Imperial Drag, we all worked through this, but uh, you know, ultimately I only viewed it as a positive, not a negative, except for the uh, conversation I had to have face-to-face with Slash on the phone. Oh, what? (laughs) I was like, give me my singer back, motherfucker! (laughs) (laughs) Enough is enough. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Well, I mean it, it, it you know, I was pretty emotionally invested in uh, what we were doing, yeah, so I, w- I, I wanted to get back and, and Slash did want me to stay, but I don't think he's ever really forgiven me for it, but he had to understand that we were under contract uh, by the time I got off tour, so we were kind of legally obligated as well to uh, to do the imperial drag record, so
1: that's how first, it worked uh, out. played i guess for him i don't know when you first played for him um were they kind of like looking at you like you're a badass or were they a stone (laughs) we did Uh, you look out of there going like i have no idea how that went or were you kind (laughs) of like wow they like me they
2: really like me (laughs) no i went to uh went to his old house on uh up on you know around wonderland there it was uh it was condemned because of the earthquake so he just had his home studio in there and he took a his guitar tech, Adam Day, and I sat there on a multi track recorder, and uh, that's when he played uh, what became Beggars and Hangers On. And I kind of wrote the lyrics, you know, got the lyrics started on the spot, and then he played it for Slash the next day, and Slash called me pretty immediately after that. So I didn't really start singing for the guys <clears throat> and, uh, until a bit later over at Mates. Okay. Um, so it happened so fast it was kind of hard to be afraid you know you yeah. just kind of had to go in and and do it
1: you know back in the cat club days did you ever sing on stage with lemmy mm.
2: yes i did
1: damn yeah. that neat Oh.
2: Wow. damn yeah i loved lemmy man do i
1: remember he would do a lot of beatles songs i remember that so and you you too though um, did you guys sing Beatles together? Or you know, I, I don't remember as well as I should with some of this stuff, but
2: yeah, I had a, a drinking problem even worse than I do now back yeah, then. Well,
1: so. me too. <laughs> <laughs> so we had so much fun, man. We we I remember Kenny behind the bar, we'd close the bar at like two or whatever, poor Slim Jim, and we would just all drink party all night, and we'd kick everybody out we didn't know, or whatever. We'd have so much fun there. But uh, yeah. I remember you guys would keep playing sometimes, and so like watching Slim Jim play the drums, you know, fuck, he's good. <laughs> and then the Lemmy, and then Jimmy Fallon hanging out, and just all this randomness of it, it was so much. It was, you just never knew who would be there, and your ability yeah, I, to like morph and play with everybody. Was so cool to watch.
2: We we uh, you know those were some uh, very fun days. A lot yeah. of uh, a lot of party, and I, I remember C. C. Bill showing up one night. And we played Johnny Be Good, and he was so fucked up that he didn't know one four five like at all. I don't know. I I think I got behind him on the guitar, and he was just—I was kind of propping him up and like you know, fingering the chords. You know, he he was pretty gone. But I think uh, he's—he's straightened up a bit now. But
1: yeah, a lot of that
2: random stuff would happen. Fist fights. I got a few of those. (laughs) <laughs> just you know, no, it's stuff I'm ashamed of now, but I mean it's kind of fun that I lived through it at least.
1: You think Slim Jim will ever open up another bar? <laughs> uh,
2: I don't know. I don't know. He's he's so. doing pretty well though. I, yeah, I, I talk to him a fair bit. Do you? Yeah, we we keep in touch. I mean Slim Jim's one of my favorite people on planet Earth.
0: Oh, because- a good dude! Wow, that's cool. Good,
2: yeah, dude. yeah. It's just because if you get us into a, a any money Python banter it's you know he he goes deep so he knows the entire cycling episode and uh <laughs> so we just live we'll live like that for you know days on end when we were out playing together we used to play casinos and and do a lot of stuff like that as well oh, that's
1: good do you keep in
2: touch with gilby or i talked to gilby not too uh, terribly long ago um we were playing some we had a little thing called halloween jack with Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction and uh daniel Schulman who's who plays with garbage and played with a bunch of people um a little side project, but uh everybody got busy, so we got together and played and said hi for a bit and yeah, yeah, he he's to- doing great he's Gilby you I know? see
1: him a lot. We have mutual friends, I don't know him too well, but I see him all the time at, at uh, mutual buddies' houses all the time, so anyway, I'm getting astray here licorice quartet <laughs> what are you? are you guys gonna tour, or uh what's in the workings for you guys we're early on i know you're, you're we're just releasing your materials so uh
0: well yeah i mean we just by some awesome miracle we actually got all the way through to ep number three yeah which has just come out and then coinciding with that has been this awesome deal with japan uh, the whole point of which was to coalesce uh, most of the material from the three EPs. There's two bonus songs um, that are covers that we did as a group uh, during lockdown. And uh, it's really exciting to see that all come together in one package for people.
3: Right behind you, so,
0: isn't it? Go ahead, what?
3: Do I see it sitting right behind you on your piano? Uh,
0: you're correct. Here.
3: Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got the box of them, but I haven't, uh, I haven't really scoped it out yet.
0: You mean this?
3: <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> oh no, you
0: mean this? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Very cool. See how nice that came out?
3: Yeah, it looks yeah.
0: great. And this is the back. I mean, they did an incredible job on the packaging.
1: Yeah. Do you guys know if you're gonna do any shows? Are you guys out gigging right now, or?
3: We weren't really set up to do that. We don't really have a full-time drummer or anything, even though we're a quartet. There's only three of us. Um, And it wasn't really in the cards. I mean, we thought about it, and then, of course, lockdown happened. So, you know, it's... Nowadays, touring just... We're all, you know, hired as side musicians for different things. I'm about to go out with um, Sheryl Crow again this summer. Okay. Due to one of her guitar players having some health issues or his wife having health issues. But... He can't go out and, and risk getting COVID because she's going through some cancer treatments. So, you know, mm-hmm. those kind of crazy things are happening all over for people, and and uh, so we haven't really been able to even consider playing live. Uh, it's not really been in our cards yet, you know. If somebody wants to pay us a lot of money to go play, I think we'd consider it. Eric but I don't has think. A lot of money. Look. I know. I know. He's worth at least a million. You I know, think that that's still in that plasma, though. I think that's all a plasma. A whole million. you can buy more cats eric yeah
2: i'm fine with the two i have okay it's prohibitively expensive though uh right now especially touring i mean it's it's kind of out of the question for 99 percent of everyone
1: yeah so that and a lot of the big acts are touring so they're taking all the spaces so yeah they need the money
2: (laughs) yeah we don't have a, a touring bus that runs on uh cooking oil like willie nelson's you know
1: yeah well i do appreciate your guys's time if you have any more funny stories to share amusing gigs that come to mind that you had done once upon a time or anything uh tell me otherwise
3: <laughs> well i i was thinking about your fame story i i, I would give you a a, a nice little story to, to counterbalance my rolling stone one which was when i was in jellyfish yeah we played um I think it was called the Dick Clark's Rockin' something show. Do you guys remember when we played that? It yep. was a TV show that we, you film it and then it's shown at a later date or whatever. It's on YouTube. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we did that. I get home to Atlanta. We're not really touring. or There's a bunch of time off and um, I'm helping a buddy, of my, <laughs> a buddy of mine who has a carpet cleaning company and I'm at this house. I'm helping him clean carpets and I look over and this lady goes, you look familiar to me. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, really? And she goes, I saw you. Cause the show had just shown the night before I saw you playing with jellyfish on the thing. And I'm like, yep, that's me. And I'm just steam cleaning her <laughs> carpet. So, <laughs> uh, great. so yeah. So fame is a, uh, as a fickle friend, I guess, um, and how you want to relate to it. But that's always stuck with me as, as like a, a road sign for, uh, keeping things in perspective
1: you know it was uh um, do you know eddie from blessed unions of soul he's a good friend of mine and a really great person so i had him on and the big song comes on, i believe it was on the radio and there and there he said he was tarring a driveway <laughs> and he's like hey 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 you know this is this is me this is me yeah <laughs> it nice. was cool yeah. Yeah. it brings you back down to reality even totally. though your head's in the sky yeah. yeah well that's a great story thank you for sharing it yeah thanks for having us yeah man yeah thank you i look forward to hearing more music from all you guys with both the Liquorice quartet and the other projects you guys are coming up with and uh, i hope to hang out soon awesome yeah. thanks joel
2: you're welcome yeah thank you man
1: Thanks for watching don't forget to like and subscribe by clicking the round button on the bottom right to learn more about me or the guests on the show go to joelrody.com you can follow us on twitter instagram or tiktok the handles joelrody and don't forget when you party like a rock star don't be a dick.